The Football Show on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. I'm prepared to end it my can well, to play it my country again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Now then, so football show this evening. We are busy. We have Julian Loren joining us on the line to talk about Thierry Henry. Monaco and Nice played out a one-all draw last Wednesday. That was Henry versus Patrick Vieira. Henry and Monaco still struggling. They're in 19th position. Cesc Fabregas has just gone from Chelsea, as we know. So we'll check in with Julian Loren, see what he makes of how Henry is doing. The French media accusing him of being sulky at the moment, Henri. It's very difficult for him. I mean, they have no uh, real cause for optimism. Aside from the fact that the injury list is horrific, it's still in double figures, the injury list. So maybe if they can get some players back. But um, it's sad, really, what's happened to Monaco. It is a symptom of modern football, Kev. You think yeah. back to when think they about were how in many Champions chats League semi-final. You and I, all that season, saying, Joel, watch these sides at the start. Watch this side. And then it, it gradually built through that season. And you were, you were hoping that could have stayed together for another season, weren't you? Maybe two. They max. really got acid stripped quickly. Jason yeah. Burt had a very good piece today in the Telegraph. You'll get it in the Irish Independent too. A relegation unthinkable for a club who won the league in 2017, and they also reached the Champions League semi-finals with a team that included Kylian Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, Fabinho, and Benjamin Mendy. Yeah. Well, Falcao up front that was back in form. Um, just, it was amazing. Henri also in trouble for saying to a Strasbourg player, Strasbourg beat them 5-1 at the weekend. Yeah. Your yeah. grandmother's a whore he said to a player and it was picked up on camera. So that oh, He's a great fella though. Didn't go down well. Joe, he's a great man. Well, what a beautiful human being I think he's been described as. Would you not be a fan of Thierry? Is that all over the handball thing? Oh no, but no, but it, it, it's, co- it's constantly said, isn't it? And it's constantly said about people, you know, these Arsenal players, great human beings. They're all great human beings. <laughs> Is that right? Come on. Okay. You're Honestly. Right. Okay. Absolute nonsense. Okay, nonsense. So um, before we get into that, uh, we never touched on Man City at all last night in the football show partly because I knew you were at the game, so we talked to you this evening. They yeah. played uh, Huddersfield. You and Steer were there. Have a listen to the two lads in action. And it's Danilo having a crack from 20 oh. yards. It's deflected into the goal. Manchester City take the lead. And it was just about two metres, two yards outside the Huddersfield town box. Christopher Schindler, the centre-half, just got a touch in it to take it away from Lussel. And it's crossed in by Sané, and it's Raheem Sterling with a diving header. Brilliant cross from Leroy Sané. Raheem Sterling comes flying from the back post, and a diving header sends it into the bottom corner. Manchester City take a 2-0 lead. Heads it off down to Leroy Sané. He's got the ball inside the box, and he tucks it away into the bottom left-hand corner. Huddersfield Town, nil. Manchester City, three. A brilliant bit of control and a brilliant finish from Leroy Sané. There we are, 3-0. Only one awe from Kevin Cavan. Yeah. Oh, he's flying along, Stephen. He's Steve, doing well. Yeah, yeah, no, doing he's very well. Join it. The two of you honestly look like you've <laughs> travelled through time every time you turn up outside the stadium. <laughs> yeah, you've not got the picture on, have you? Oh, you got show that oh, picture. No, do we have the picture? No, uh, we'll do it in the news. We do, we'll do it in the news round tomorrow. Uh, like two buskers who wandered in. <laughs> Any spare tickets? That was the one last week. We were at Goodison um, for the Bournemouth game. Everton got uh, Bournemouth last week as well. And we had the pitch taken. Stadiums. Uh, oh, it was like, oh, come on. Oh. Honestly. Nice. What can you do? It's a bit of style, Joe, you know. There's definitely a look going on. Um, so I didn't see much of this game. We were doing the pay-per-view when it was on. Yeah. Uh, generally, the word seems to have been that City were a touch 
sloppy. Yeah. Um, especially in the first half. Didn't pass the ball as well as they usually have. No, what, that what did was, you make of it? Uh, that's exactly how it was in Furnace Joe. I, I, uh, I, I, th- I think I'd said to you before the game, whenever you turn up to watch City, the one player essentially you, you, you're desperately wanting to be playing is De Bruyne. And uh, De Bruyne was a bit sloppy. I thought the and, and it's something Guardiola touched on after the game himself, and I'd, I'd mentioned it several times through the through the, the game. City were just taking too many touches in midfield. Fernandinho was very sloppy at the at the weekend. Uh, Gundogan very sloppy. Those midfield midfield three players that that were playing Gundogan, De Bruyne, and Fernandinho usually expect so much more from them, and uh, it just didn't it didn't quite happen for them. They were quite sloppy. They were quite lethargic, moving the ball too slowly, and that was largely down to the fact is that Huddersfield just literally at times they're actually in their own 18-yard box usually you'll see the back four lined up at the width of the 18-yard box the two wide men were coming back making a back six mm. so there's no pressure being put on them and because of that I think they just I think they just took it for granted they've got too much time in the ball and didn't move it sharp and from Guardiola said that himself and yeah. second half they brought David Silva on and then we saw the real De Bruyne those two in particular second half you could see them it's going to be great watching them towards the back end of the season when they get uh, back flowing again yeah. that back six tactic is obviously very understandable when you're playing against Manchester yeah. City but I know from those few recent FA Cup games you don't like it you think you have to try and press them in I think, midfield I think you have to engage in midfield um, now bearing in mind yes it won they, they, they won the game and it yeah. worked for them they won 3-0 but City have played against that, that too often now it's they know how to break it down. They, in their head, the mentality is, well, I'll tell you what, if we're not going to score the first off, we will eventually break this system down. Yeah. We will take a chance at at some stage. They didn't really create an awful lot in the first half. The goalkeeper, Lursel, didn't have a lot to do. And the shot, I think, was actually off target from Danilo. I'm, I'm not so sure that it, it was on target. If it was on target, I think Lursel would have saved it. And uh, Schindler, actually, I thought he could have done a bit better. I thought he could have made himself big rather than actually shirk and, 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 and duck his head into the into the ball. That's what obviously created the first goal mid and, and, and they got the goal off the back of it but as you say that back six City now know how know eventually they will break it down I wonder does that contribute to the malaise almost they're playing the bottom side in the Premiership or the Premier League the team are going down they instantly see a formation that's familiar to them they know they're going to win it probably on a very human level is hard to put massive impetus into your performance yeah I th- <laughs> maybe it, that's giving them excuses I don't know um, but I can understand well, why I can they understand would look it. at it and say, yeah. oh, here we go. I can understand it. I can understand it. And you know, and, and I think I said it, and I think Stephen was talking about it even before the game, it's four, four games in nine days now for City, yeah. I think, before that. So they've got bigger games to play. This Burton game that they've got tomorrow night, it's done. That's done anyway. Yeah. So they can, they can uh, afford to, to rest a lot of players. So it's about what's ahead of them now. And then after those four games, they have, I think it's Arsenal and Chelsea, that is what they have to conserve energy for, essentially. That is when they've got to be right at it, and I'm sure that they will be. It's 386 minutes now since Firmino scored against Manchester City, and he was the last player to score against them. Yeah. And in that time, they scored 23 goals in all competitions. So, mm. you know, they've been having a good old time. I heard Sane was very good. Sane was very good. Um, well, again, first half, what, 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 what Huddersfield were doing... City were, City predominantly were starting a lot of attacks down the right-hand side. So Sterling was kind of tucked inside like an inside forward, almost alongside Sergio Aguero at times up yeah. front. So there's a lot of intricate play around the right-hand side of the, of the field. And what they were trying to do, essentially, City, they were just keeping Leroy Sané as wide as possible, keep him isolated. So they had a quick switch out to him. So he was yeah. trying to get one-on-one with... Um, who was the fullback? It was Smith, uh, Tommy Smith. 
Um, they were trying to, yeah, they were trying to get him isolated one on one with Tommy Smith. First half, it only worked a few times. Second half. It, it just started to click. I wouldn't say City were great, yeah. but he was probably the best player, uh, the best attacking player, I think, for City. And why? I mean, look, it's very hard for anyone to be inside the head of Pep Guardiola. Why, for instance, might he look at the game and say, I'm going to have Sterling tuck in next to Aguero, but I'm going to keep Sané wide? What's well, the logic in having Well, I think, I think Sterling is more of a threat when he is running off the ball now. He started to develop his game, that sort of side of his game. So I think when he does come in off the touchline, mm. I think he's got the ability just to spin off the shoulder of the left-sided centre-half, which was Christopher Schindler for Huddersfield at the weekend. I think he's got that ability to play in between the left-back and the uh, left-side centre-half so he can actually make those pen- uh, penetrating runs. Yeah. Leroy Sané, I think, is better when you get him in one-on-one positions where he can actually go at the fullback. Okay. So it suits their strengths as yeah. players. Yeah. It's funny, actually. Gary Neville a couple of weeks ago on Cocom in one of the games did just remark almost to himself as much as anything. He just said in passing, Sterling's movement has become world-class. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very good. It's yeah. noticeable how he's listened to what he said to him mm-hmm. on the training ground. Because we, we, you and I spoke about him probably two years ago. We were talking... Oh, the movement's not great. Keeps coming towards the ball constantly, what he, wanting it to his feet. He still has ability, don't get me wrong. Yeah. When he gets his chances, he's not taking them. You, you've seen a total different player now. He is, he is world-class movement yeah. that he's it's producing. An, it's an amazing... Transformation's too strong, but an amazing improvement. Where's uh, the, uh, the John Smith Stadium, is that? John Smith Stadium, yeah. Where is that in Huddersfield? Is it in the city? Is it in the town? or uh, Just out the town, yeah. Just out the town it is, yeah. Is it, so is Huddersfield a big place? No, small town, small Yorkshire town, really. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was quite a wealthy town. Um, hundred, hundred and fifty years ago, there was an the industry there. I think it was cotton industry. Someone might correct me on that one, but there was an industry that was thriving in in uh, in West Yorkshire there. Yeah. And it started to do quite well. Huddersfield starting to get the benefits of that. Um, as is in most northern English towns now, they've gone downhill. But it's yeah. uh, it's it's. It's actually still, you can see the buildings and everything. It's, it's very, when you, as you come off the M62, you've got a really great view right down across Huddersfield and you see the old um, uh, stone buildings, the stone uh, built houses. It's, it's, it's really nice, very picturesque. And is there a mature element of acceptance about their predicament, do you suspect, from fans? Like, I, I can't think they're there. You know, in, mm. you know anytime Newcastle can see the goal? And you look behind the goal; it's always hilarious because you see people losing their shit, no matter what. You know what I mean? It just yeah. doesn't matter if they're if they're six, like, they're six nil up and they concede one. It's like, yeah. Have you seen the the Sunderland documentary? It's yeah, just yeah. exactly the same as that. Yeah. So, I mean, is there an element of Huddersfield fans accepting? Look, fair enough. We don't quite have the quality, or is the, is this a stadium that are really grumbling and angry? No, definitely not. Not grumbling and angry at the weekend. There was a really nice message at half time from David Wagner actually, and it was it was applauded. A lot of the fans were going out for the half time cups of teas and everything, and they all waited behind, listened to his message that he read out, got a lovely reception, lovely round of applause when uh, when it was done. But no, I, I wouldn't. It, you can't accept you're going to get relegated. Mm. But it's not an angry atmosphere. No, I it's not. Definitely not. I they, think they, they don't feel. Well, hang on. The first season was a shot to nothing. We survived. It was a bit of a miracle. Over the summer was the time to buy a few strikers and spend yeah. that hundred million quid. That atmosphere isn't there. No, there's not. And even in the second half, you probably would have seen it on um, on match today. Um, Joe, it was Mounier picked up the ball on the inside left channel, cut back inside, had a shot. It's off target, but even that was getting. You know, it was a real buzz around it. Three 0 down at the time, yeah. so there is a feeling that the crowd is still with the team. Mm. My only disappointment would be with Huddersfield. Anyone watched them getting promoted was real up-tempo performances, right in people's faces, stopping them. I don't think they've shown that since they've got into the Premier League. I don't think they've really shown, or not shown too many, up-tempo performances, getting the crowd right on side. Because their weapon, 
if they were ever to stay up, was always going to be home performances, getting the crowd, making an intimidating atmosphere for teams going there. They were always going to fall down on quality, yes. And I don't think they've done that enough. And that's why, ultimately, if they were to go down this season, which is probably it's highly likely, okay. uh, it'll be because of that, I think, yeah. Uh, so that was City responding to Liverpool's 4-3 win over Crystal Palace. Danny Murphy was on match of the day, Kev. Yeah. I mean, everybody looked from the start of the season, everybody said Manchester City, effectively. Danny Murphy now... He's starting to think, he's starting to think, he's starting to believe. Today was the day yeah. I've actually really, I've, I've completely gone in now, I believe. <laughs> They're going to do it. No, I be, I've been like that, you know, yeah. the, the kind of bit of a test down at half time, that kind of thing. I'm thinking the last minute against Everton, the, the bit of luck with the deflections today, you know, that things are going Liverpool's way and they've only got, I say only, Spurs and Chelsea at home, who you'd fancy them to beat, United and Everton away. They're the tricky ones and... I, th- I think with City's fixtures and Liverpool's fixtures, Liverpool are strong favourites. Don't get ahead of yourself. We had Pat Nevin on last night. He was at the game. Yeah. And um, I was saying to him that it certainly came through TV. It was the first time I really thought there was this fevered atmosphere, this sense of finishing line coming into sight th- akin to the 2014 run. Yeah. Rogers. It, you know, it, just, it, this, just this, this, the countdown's on yeah. element. And Nevin said totally, absolutely... And he said um, he's gone from firmly having had Manchester City as his favourites to yeah. now Man City and Liverpool are joint favourites. Joint favourites? That's where he's gone to. <laughs> that's Pat not really wanting to say that he fancies Liverpool, really. He doesn't really, he can't say it. Can't bring himself. But that's, uh, that's probably where he's at. I, um, can't, I can't believe. I mean, I just, I mean, I, the start of the season, it was how can Liverpool keep pace? And then at one point, they were about to go 10 points down and it flipped around. Yeah. It was like, you know, the Everton game was obviously crucial. Like it really does what do you think yourself? Like, do you think? I'm. I mean, I, I just I, I couldn't. I see anything beyond City. Yeah. And now I would say, <laughs> I'm very close to saying it's Liverpool. Yeah. I mean, I joint favourites is about right. I think it's fantastic that we have that unpredictable a title race. Yeah. Um, at this stage of the season, Champions League commitments will come into it. Yes. Injuries are going to come into it. I think. Nobody can call this with any certainty. Yeah, who? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to just get Liverpool's fixtures up here now. We did that last night. So they've got Manchester United away. Yeah, United away. They've got Everton, which West Ham away will be tricky enough. Uh, there'll be tricky games there. I'm sure City's. Yeah, they got Power, they've got Leicester, some tough games. Leicester next at home, and yeah. then uh, West Ham. I think West Ham will be tricky enough as well. And then it's how you, how you, th- what do they do for the Bayern Munich games? Mm-hmm. Now, what if they went out to Bayern Munich? It's not the end of the world realistically for them, is it? Um, I'd fancy them on current form to beat Bayern. I think they'll beat Bayern. But then you're putting so much energy into winning those games or you've got Bayern Munich at home, all of a sudden you've got United at the weekend ahead of it. What, which, is, which is the priority for them? Realistically, which it is now. Ideally, the clock will always say yes, both of them. I'd probably say United is more of a priority than Bayern Munich. Because I think if they get through that United game and the Everton game, as Danny, uh, Danny Murphy's touched on there, they are winnable games to the end of the season. Tottenham at home, I suppose, could be tricky. Chelsea at home, but I think get through those away games, particularly the Man United one, the way United are playing. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think well, they are in the driving seat. Who are your favourites now? Just seeing. I, I said it the weekend. I still, I still feel City because of the quality and the depth within the squad. How are Liverpool going to be without a right back for the next game as well? What's going to happen there? Can 
Leicester, because Leicester have got a bit of quality, Damari Gray or someone like that, could he yeah, yeah. exploit a bit of a weakness that they're going to have at right back, at right back in that match? Yeah. So I, I, I'm still only just, it's, it's definitely levelling off a bit. It really is. It's definitely levelling off, and, but I, I, I just think City, with the quality that they've got, can, can do it, yeah. Um, James Milner sent off by his old PE teacher. Yeah, that was classic. Again, classic just story. Just magic. Milner! <laughs> yeah, classic. Uh, we're taking a short break. We're talking to Julian Loren in just a second about Thierry Henry. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Now, welcome along. So, we're turning to Ligue 1. Julien Lorraine is with us. We are talking predominantly Thierry Henry and Monaco. They uh, drew 1-0 with Nice last Wednesday. Thierry, or um, Patrick Vieira's niece. And then at the weekend, they lost 5-1 to Strasbourg, leaving them second from bottom. Your grandmother's a whore, Henri could be spotted shouting at Kenny Lala at one point. I regret it, he said after the game. I'm only human. Uh, Julien Lorraine, good evening. Hello, guys. So, uh, Thierry Henry and Monaco. Um, we talked to Richard Dunn, who I'm sure you're uh, very familiar with, a couple of weeks back. Yeah, of course. He lives in the area, goes to all the Monaco yeah. games. Uh, certainly at that point, he was saying, in fairness to Thierry Henry, who has uh, lost 11 times, including eight of the 12 league matches they've played, he was saying, in fairness to Henry, the injury list is frankly crippling. It's in the double figures. Has that improved somewhat for Henry? I mean, no, the injury is still... That's still pretty, pretty heavy. I mean, someone like Jovetic, for example, Luka Vary, talented player who could help this Monaco team, you know, just came back uh, against Nice for injury and, and after 10 minutes on the pitch, got injured again. So that kind of stuff, obviously, Jerry can't be responsible for. Uh, however, unfortunately for him, that's not the only problem. It's not just about the injuries. There's been a lot of other issues uh, passing by his, his own coaching as well. And I'm sure he because one to admit that he's made mistakes since taking over on October the 13th. But it seems that even the new signings uh, are not having the impact that Thierry and, and a lot of people thought they would have, or at least not immediately. And it, at the moment, it still looks like a, like, a, like a nightmare, really. Right. What style of football are they trying to play? I know, he, was, I know he, he, he certainly has a preference for three at the back, but the injury list has made that difficult. What kind of football are they trying to play? So I, th- I think, you know, once again, when you've had... Guardiola and Arsene Wenger as you as managers, uh, you, you know exactly what kind of football you want to play. The problem is one, he didn't have much time to to put his philosophy in place because the games have come thick and fast, and they, there was not much time for training, for practicing, for putting stuff together. Uh, and also, I don't think he really had the players that he, he, he needed or or wanted to uh, to play the kind of football uh, with a lot of uh, movement with a lot of uh, you know verticality, with a lot of uh, short passes, and with a lot of yeah, love movement that he wanted to implement to his team. So it's been really hard. I think he underestimated a bit how hard it would be. I think he thought maybe it would be a bit easier because he's Jerry Henry and everything has come so easy for him through his through his life. You know, I just thought he was maybe thinking, you know what, I'm going to make this one work. I can I can have new players in January, but I can also do a lot with the younger players who are very good at the Monaco Academy. I can do this, I can do that. And I actually, it turned out like it's far harder than I think he thought it would be. Yeah, do you know, in, in relation to the team, you, you still look, there's still a lot of quality even with the injury list that they've got within the within the side at the moment that's playing uh, Julian. So... Joel just asked you a question there about what he's trying to implement there style-wise. He's, he brought Fabregas in. I think we, it's, we have all accepted now Fabregas is 
legs certainly for a high pressurized game certainly wouldn't be wouldn't be up to that sort of style but watching Monaco over the years and see the high high press that they've played you spoke, spoke about the youth you've had so much youth in the side that's been able to really go and press teams and, and get right at them doesn't seem to me watching them the, 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 they have that sort of element to, to the game whereas you know, I'm, I'm, if you watch French footballers, there is a lot of a lot of sides that are actually adopting a high press high press game now. Yeah, you're right, and I think it's it's not really clear where they're playing, how they play. He plays five at the back, then he plays four at the back, then he plays five at the back again. He wanted Fabregas to control the midfield. That's mm. why he always said he said we know we don't have that player in midfield that can control the game and control the pace of the game for us. So Fabregas for that and for that level, I agree with you, Kev. I think the legs have gone. But in terms of the intelligence and the way he can control the game with his long-range passes and his short passes and, and all of that, I think he can still do that. And we saw that against Marseille in his first game. I, I think he will, he will be able to do that. For the rest, you know, I'm not sure the younger players are ready for a high press. Mm. I'm not sure the team as a unit is ready for that. And I'm not sure Thierry has managed to, you know, to make those players play as a unit to then be able to, to press high and to have like little triangles, to have movement, to have overlaps. We rarely see any overlaps. We rarely see, uh, you know, triangle with one-touch passes. None of that yet. And and that's probably one of the reasons why they're struggling so much as well. Yeah, how's he in relation to the comments that Joel spoke about into Kenny Lala? How's he coming across in the in the press as well, Julian? He got yeah, he got slaughtered, and, and rightly so. It was one of those where if. It was not directly a lala, but it's one of those sentences that you say, and he said after all, it's, it's, a, it's a street, it's a, it's a street sentence, which, which is right, that you say towards someone, but not directly as someone. Mm. And um, I think he realized very quickly that he was wrong, and then he tried to justify himself at the end, saying like, you know, sometimes I say even worse than that, but it's in English, so no one understands. That doesn't make it right. It's not because you say it in English in France, and that no one understands that. That makes it right. Uh, and then he's, you know, he's trying to say I'm human. Everyone is human, but not many managers do that either. Mm. And I think, you know what, the heart of the problem for me is he still thinks that he's above other people. And he still behaves like he's either a player or a pundit, but not really like a manager. And for me, what he said to Kenny Lala was very much what a player can say to another player in the heat of a game. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. You've lost a challenge, you get up, or you got kicked, you get up, and you sort of said that kind of insult. Not when you're a manager. That doesn't work anymore. He has to change his attitude, the way he behaves, his body language is wrong. And I'm just not sure he's, he's made the switch from uh, a pendant mode or a former player mode or even a player mode because sometimes he looks like he's one of the boys to a manager mode. And, and, and I think until he does that, I'm not sure he'd be very clear on, on where he's going. You use the phrase there, above other people, Julian. Is Henri considered arrogant in French football? Yeah, but he's, yeah, I mean, he's always been human, but the, obviously the handball against you guys, he, was, he always felt like... Where was, where was that? Sorry, him. remind me. What was that? <laughs> I, I, I was in Sedgham, but I didn't see anything, I promise. <laughs> but he, he always felt like, oh, I was not defended enough by the French. The French you, know, you let me down. You were not behind me enough. Well, why would we? You cheated. It's, it's as simple as that. You could have been anyone. He was wrong. And, you know, he always had that feeling of, like, because he was Thierry Henry, because he was this, because he was that, people always had to go, uh, you know, on his way, in his way, always back him up, always go towards what he wanted, always go along with everything he was doing or everything he was saying. And I still, I still think that he thinks that now. I mean, there was a scene for me that there's a lot. 
um, it was maybe a month after he arrived. And every time for a press conference, he used to come in with a, with a sheet of paper with all the players injured on it. And he would tell us all, OK, so this week, Juanillo Lopez is injured, Juventus is injured, Falcao is injured. And he was naming all the players. And then one day he thought that we were basically saying that he was justifying the poor form of his team by the injuries. And that, that was his excuse. And the, the, the journalists who, who were there were saying, like, but you, to, you told us every week, this is all my players injured. That's why I can't win games. That's why I can't play well, because I've got all those players. And so he wanted to use that as an excuse. But when it was too much, he was not happy anymore. And he would have an argument with everyone who wanted to have an argument with him. And I just think that's all counterproductive. Right. Mm. We were um, just uh, getting nostalgic, uh, even though it's not that long, long ago, about the 2017 semi-final team and league winning team with Mbappe and Bernardo Silva and uh, Mendy and others. Um, surely they can't get relegated two years later. Will they get out of this? I think so. I still think, there's, like, like Kevin said, there's enough talent in there. Uh, I'm not sure Thierry is the right manager, but even with Thierry as, as the wrong manager there, they should be able to get out there. Uh, but he will be a very, very high, high-pressure high end of the season with a lot of, um, a lot of anxiety for the fans, for the club. There's a lot of uncertainties around the owner, Dimitri Bolovlev, who you know, has, has a lot of uh, problems with the, with the justice in Monaco, the, 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 the prince, obviously, of the principality, who probably wants another owner. So there's a lot of things going on there. And it would be a disaster if they, if they went down. I still think that they would manage somehow to stay up. There's, there's, no, there's no sense that he will lose his job in the next while, is there, Julian? I don't think so. They, they've, they've been briefing us that he was there for the long run, even if they go down, even if, uh, if they go down, Fabregas would stay, yeah. bring them back up, all of that we've heard. So I, I, I think they, they would keep him, but it's a tricky one. And now maybe a lot of people realize, at the club realise that maybe he was not the right guy to go for at that time because, you know, Jardim, okay, was not working under him, but it was more than the than manager the problem. And I, and I, and I think they're starting to realise that. You mentioned there uh, the Prince may want another owner. So Prince Albert um, and the owner being Dmitry Robolilev. Um, what influence does the Prince have over the football team, the running of the football team? I mean, the, the Prince was the one who chose Robolilev, who's been, a, who's been living in Monaco, but want, wanted badly a, a passport that he, doesn't, he hasn't got, to be fair. So it looked like they were the best of friends. Now it looks like things are more difficult because of the, the, the problem of Robolilev with the justice because of what's going on with him, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, of court and, and being sued and all of that. So I think right now, the Prince and, and people at the Prince would rather probably Dimitri Rivolovlev to be as far as possible from the club. It's not. He owns it, and he owns it fully. He bought it for one euro. So uh, it's, it's a tricky one. That, that again, I don't think has a, has a direct impact on the players. The players are far removed from that, but still has some sort of impact negatively over the club. Julian, just uh, before we let you go, just wanted to ask you on the upcoming Champions League game. Of course, Man United playing PSG. PSG winners nine nil at the weekend. Uh, what's the what's the feeling around the side? Of course, Mbappe, I think Mbappe scored four at the weekend. So, are, are they relishing going to Old Trafford? Are they relishing the challenge, particularly with the way that it's going for United at the moment? No, yeah, they, they were. Everything was so positive until Saturday and the injury of Marco Verratti, and who will be a, a huge blow. I mean, he. he he has a, a he strained his ankle, which is not so bad. The ligament haven't you know haven't been damaged, so they're hoping that he will be okay. 
for for the first leg on 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 February the 12th to yeah. go out, to go to Old Trafford because with him and without him it's two different teams. However, the the, the momentum is huge, the, the dynamic and and the way Tuchel has been, you know, the team has been playing and the Tuchel so far since the Liverpool defeat at Anfield has been pretty impressive. And I think they'd, they'd be there full of confidence and, and full of momentum, but Verratti has to be there and has to be fit or so fit to, uh, for, for them to be really confident that they can knock United out. Mm. Julian, thanks so much. Pleasure as always. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thank Julian. You. Thanks, Julian Loren there on the line. Back in one second. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Yeah, then welcome back. So, uh, Kev, I know you want to talk about Marcus Rashford just on the Manchester United theme for a second. There is a good interview in The Guardian. I don't know if you've read it yet. Uh, Simon Hattonstone in the health and well-being section. Rio Ferdinand, I used to drink 10 pints and then move on to vodka, um, is the kind of headline grabber. And he talks about back in the day at West Ham, especially just uh, drinking loads. And, you know, it was of an era. Fine. Yeah. That's not the most interesting thing about the piece. It's just actually a really funny piece to read. So Ferdinand at this stage <clears throat> has uh, moved into promoting, and I think probably it seems investing, in a DNA kit. And the claim is, even though, as the uh, journalist Simon Hattonstone says, there's not too much scientific support behind this, mm. but the claim is that you can take this DNA kit, cost you 100 pounds, and you can take a swab of your saliva and it will tell you from a nutrition point of view what you're missing. Which, you know, if, if, yeah, if yeah, it yeah. works, that would be quite useful. So, you know, Ferdinand's talking about it and um, he's now two stone and seven pounds heavier than he was as a player. He's 16 stone now. Yeah, or, he's massive though. Ferdinand's massive, you know. Yeah, he's a big, big fella, yeah. So he talks about how um, when he was a player, you could see the fibres in my body when I was walking about. I was so lean. First thing I wanted to do after football was bulk up. And um, so he's talking about that and this DNA fit is what it's called, a nutrigenetics company. They've created a simple saliva swab and they say it'll transform lives. Nutrigenetics is an emerging and as yet largely unproven science that studies the interaction between genes and nutrition with the hope of preventing uh, disease. So he talks about being in a small claustrophobic office near London Bridge, Ferdinand there, with um, an immaculately strimmed beard. Uh, long, languid, tanned. So suddenly, um, he says the room is quite small, and then we're joined by, uh, this is Avi, says the publicist. He's here to explain all the technical stuff. And the journalist says, it suddenly feels as if I've been interview bombed. And Avi is a 43-year-old entrepreneur, and he's behind this. He's going to explain all the, um, the benefits anyway. So Ferdinand's talking away, and he's reaped the benefits since he was tested. Now, look, I don't know. He says, I wanted to gain weight, gain muscle and retain it, but I hit a ceiling. So what did he discover? I was eating huge carbs and not enough protein. So he's now 15 stone 13. He was 13 stone five as a player. Uh, the journalist says, I'm no expert, but surely you don't need a DNA test to tell you more protein lifting weights will help. Anyway, we don't know. Uh, many scientists, he says, believe we simply don't know enough about nutrigenetics for companies such as DNA Fit to mm. deliver on its promise. Um, but it's funny because from then on, the interview just becomes um, <laughs> like a, a, a back and forth or a, 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 um, a to and fro between this guy, Avi, and uh, the journalist. The journalist wants to talk a little bit about Rio Ferdinand now, you know? Yeah. So uh, the high watermark is 
where he's talking here. Sorry, I didn't know I was going to talk about this. Oh yeah, okay. This is the this is the bit. This is the bit. So <laughs> they're chatting away, and look, Ferdinand's very um, genuine about this and believes in it. So you know, it could well be right. I'm not an expert. I don't know. I'm just giving you the journalist's interpretation. And he talks about one of the reasons that he wants to um, support this is because obviously he's lost his wife, and he yeah. want, you know he doesn't want he wants everyone to be healthier. So he's fair enough. I'm sure his intentions are good. So. Um, at the same time, the journalist has talked for a long, long segment about the genetics thing. And um, he writes then, Ferdinand also campaigned for the UK to remain in Europe. How does he feel about Brexit now? I don't know, man. Theresa May needs a, do a new deal. This guy, Avi, who's been there, jumps in. He says, but the great thing about genetics is that you can do it anywhere, Brexit or no Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> At which point the journalist goes, wow. That is the most random intervention I've ever heard, A.V. Even Ferdinand's agents can't help laughing at his attempt to steer the conversation back to DNA. He says, look, we've talked enough about DNA. I want to like to talk to Rio about Rio. Uh, it's worth a read anyway, so that's what Rio's up yeah, to. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll actually get that. I'll get that. <laughs> it's good just for that. The journalist has done a good job on, like, they were putting the big sell on yeah. Brexit, no Brexit, you yeah, can do it anywhere. You can do it, yeah. DNA testing, there you go. Brilliant. So Marcus Rashford then. Uh, this yeah. is getting quite exciting. Uh, he's had his best Premier League season already, still 15 games to go. Yeah. And well, he's uh, had his best month. You know, that's the thing. Uh, I yeah, think yeah, what, yeah, is yeah. it since just over a month now, since December 8th, he's scored, well, if you even look back a little bit further, but certainly since he's scored seven goals since December the 8th. A number of assists as well during that spell. And That was the one, he's gone from... Um, Previously, he was averaging either a goal or an assist every 140, 50 odd minutes. He's now coming in with a goal or an assist in the last under Solskjaer every 88 minutes. Yeah, every yeah. game, he's basically involved in the goal. Yeah. So, so what are you seeing? Um, certainly, <laughs> without stating the obvious, unbelievably confident now, prepared to try things. Mm. I think he's trying, he's trying things a lot more than I think, probably would have seen him in the past. I think he's prepared to take more shots on. I do think he's, I think he's striking the ball has become a lot more confident as well. That's largely down to the fact is that he's obviously scoring, of course, that is, you, 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 you're stating the obvious with that. But just, he, he looks to me like, which I'm sure Solskjaer has told him to do, knowing himself as a striker has just said to him, look, you go out, you play, you, ev we are going to do everything through you. Everything that we're going to, we're going to come up through, you're going to have team, team build through you, you get yourself in positions in wider rows if you want. But when you're getting inside, inside left, inside right channels, take your strikes on, get your shots at goal mm. constantly. Now at the weekend he had a lot of shots at goal at the weekend, a lot of them without success. But the goal was just brilliant. If, you, if, 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 you, if there was a corner taken about 10 minutes before he scored the goal, very similar position where he picked the ball up. It was a short corner that was taken to him. So he did a similar sort of movement where he tried to open his body out and bend it into the top corner. It just went, just went wide of the post. Did the same thing. It's almost as if he knew what he'd done previous, why he'd gone wrong. Took it out of his feet. This time he hit it with pace. And the technique that he gets on the ball, you see the way that he hits the ball anyway, he seems to get that little bit of dip on the ball. It's incredible how he hits the ball. the Janino of freaking yeah. about it at times. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great how he hits the ball. Um, it's going on his, his stiff foot in it. I'd like, I'd like to see that in slow motion, actually. I'd like to see him hit, hit that, you know, because you, you, you really get to see free kick takers hitting balls in slow motion. Yeah. And, and he's not had a lot of success when he's been hitting balls, to be fair, hitting free kicks and dead balls over the last, um, last while. But that, the goal in particular, he just checked it onto his right foot, hit it with technique, and it was almost as if he knew what had gone wrong before, and now he's... Adjusted. Everything that he's yeah. doing is, is perfect, I think. His build-up play, he's been perfect. 
are you link up play getting in wide positions to go and beat a player he's mm. been perfect his, his game just seems to have just gone on to the next level in the last six eight weeks remember he burst on the scene and was extraordinary yeah and then Mourinho got his claws into him yeah at this point you have to say is a fair enough analysis like Mourinho was turning around to the crowd and gesturing when yeah, he missed a chance not so long ago. I know. Could you imagine doing that to a teenager? I know. Like and it, was, it was a shocking Of course, Rashford won't see it, but you, bear, you know full well he's hearing that straight after the game. What about your manager when he, when he that oh, was It was Mourinho? the talk for a week. Exactly. Yeah. So he's getting that concert in his ear, knowing full well that his manager thinks he's a bit weak, mm. doesn't really fancy him. And Mourinho constantly harped on about the fact is that he played in every game since he's taken over, didn't he? He's played, he's, he's played at some point, whether it's come off the bench or started, every yeah. single game I've been manager. But clearly, the message to Rashford wasn't what no. wasn't the message that was needed for him to, to tick over. I was actually starting to lose a bit of faith in Rashford. I like there was a few And you know what games, I thought about him, Ah yeah, amazing. There was there were a few games in Europe where he missed a chance or two, tried to dink it over the keeper. Yeah. He and he had a few iffy games and I was starting to think, oh, maybe he actually isn't all that. You yeah. know, yeah, he was so good at the start and a bit of beginner's luck and just, you know, trying everything without thinking. But now that he's settled down, maybe yeah. there was more hype than actual um, what well, he uh, has the ability to deliver. I, I really was this yeah. season thinking uh, it's not quite what we thought. And now. Yeah. Well, I think we both spoke about the difference between him and Sterling, where, where they are. I know yeah. Sterling is a couple of years ahead in age over, over Rashford, but looking at them two years ago, they were on a level, on a par. Sterling took his game onto the new level under Guardiola, and in fairness, you're right in saying it, he's probably gone backwards, Rashford. But I've constantly said, technically and and everything. I, I think Rashford's a way better footballer. I think he's got much more to his game than, than, than Sterling. Sterling, brilliant, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And I think he's got the ability now to take his game onto the next level. You're not necessarily talking killing Mbappe level here for a young footballer, but certainly somewhere near that level, he's got the ability to do that, definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, are we giving Solskjaer the job yet? <laughs> I don't know. You speak to United fans on that one, isn't it? What's the, what's the message from the United fans that you know? Um, it's too soon. If he keeps going, well, if he keeps going, he hasn't if he keeps going, exactly. You know what? What, what can you do? He'll win the Champions League what, if he keeps going. Exactly. But what if he do, what if he does that? No, well, if he, if he wins the Champions League, we'll give him the job. What, but, but, it was it Roberto Di Matteo did it, didn't he? He won the Champions League. Similar sort of scenario. It's Chelsea. Don't talk to us about Chelsea, Ken. Yeah, um, but he's put himself in the frame now, hasn't he? Of course, he has. He has to. I think it's just he's got on the level of the players. He's got yeah. into the heads. PSG and Liverpool will be crucial. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty much out of time. Uh, just to give you a reminder about our Bulmer's Road to Gold event, it's on in Clonmel, 1st of February. We're building up to the Gold Cup, a number of special off-air shows across February and March. And on the 1st, there'll be um, Apri matches Barry Murphy there, David Brady will be there, Johnny Ward, Vogue Williams, and we'll have some horse racing royalty as well, including Katie Harrington. And as we said, it is an off-air event only, so the only way to be there and enjoy it is to get tickets. Off the ball, forwards, offtheball.com forward slash events now and bear in mind you must be over 18 years of age so offtheball.com forward slash events it's the Bulmers Road to Gold event in Clonmel Park Hotel on February the 1st if you want to get involved there OTBAM is back tomorrow at 7.45 Facebook, YouTube and uh, Twitter we've got a busy show as well we've got Wednesday Night Rugby myself and Kev will be back and uh, Kev I'm sure you're very happy to hear Tom Dunn is back yeah he's oh, on the way delight. now Richie's been great don't get me wrong but great to, great it's to, great to see him back. back yeah brilliant yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, Tom Dunn on the way Football on Off The Ball Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app Cash out and in-play betting Available in the App Store and Google Play Store